there's probably 1,900 edible insects that are just a regular part of daily life for people. I whittled a stick down, took the bark off, and just cleaned it up and stuck the stick down in a anthill and came out with a bunch of ants and just licked them right off there like it was a straw. Hey everybody, welcome to the Survival Show podcast with Craig and me, David, where it's our job to take you step-by-step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear you need to survive almost any crisis, emergency, or disaster, and show you how to use the lessons you learned today to thrive in your life tomorrow. Craig, you're a busy man. I see your classes going up everywhere. I'm getting photos from your navigation class. (laughs) What is going on? Where have you been? Dude, we crushed (laughs) crushed a land navigation class last weekend i was, uh, was so com- disappointed we couldn't come i know man it was uh you missed it the weather was perfect uh the people were perfect uh there was a mix of we we always have alumni come to classes these are people that have been through the class before so we had two or three of those folks plus a bunch of new folks so it's just awesome when people come in they don't know how to hold a compass properly and by the end of the weekend, they're going off on their own in the dark, uh, navigating. And it's just it's just an awesome feeling to see them working hard. And Tracy Trimble, an instructor with Nature Reliance School, and my good buddy, uh, he teaches that class, and I assist him with that one. I don't teach that class; he does. And so it's uh, it's just awesome to see what Tracy can get these people to do in just a weekend. It's just it's just fantastic. That's awesome. That is awesome, dude. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, I don't know, man. We've got a lot of hot, look what I would call a survival show stew today. A little bit of everything uh, thrown in one big pot. But uh, for certain, we want to do what we always do, which our mission is to help you progressively increase your survival IQ, if you're listening in, so that when you leave out here today, you're better prepared at the end of the show than you were at the beginning. Today, we have several topics, as I mentioned as they relate to food. Food. Who doesn't love food? First, we're going to dig into edible plants and insects again. We've talked about that briefly in two or three shows, but we're going to get into a little bit more, uh, primarily looking at uh, fall and winter edibles and stuff of that nature. Uh, We have a discussion about how ancient cultures prepared for and survived long, cold, harsh winters. We'll consider that a bit. And lastly, a lot of you guys are curious what's been going on. With Craig and David, outside of the Survival Show podcast, we're going to talk about a few of the projects that we're working on, and obviously we want you involved in those too. That's why we like to tell you about them. And David, I hear David, he loves to do this, but we'll see if he get this done today. I don't know. He's got to stump the the Craiger question. Uncle Craig is going to be put on the put on the hot seat today, and and uh, David's going to see if he can stump me. Hey. Quite honestly, it might not be that hard to do, depending upon the question, but we'll see. We'll see. He hasn't won yet. We'll see if he gets it today. I got a good one for you. It's a, it's a little bit complex, but... Is it survival-related? It is. It is. Okay, it's actually... Okay. I think it's actually... I think it's something that everybody's going to want to gonna want to hear because okay, good good good, good. Uh, yeah, yeah well i hope i, I have I an think... answer then <laughs> <laughs> oh you'll have an answer you won't sit there silent that's for sure <laughs> oh man oh so i see it's one of those opinion-based questions it is, it is. okay 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 yeah but oh i've got opinions too. it's really i've got too. opinions there's no doubt about that <laughs> but before we get into all this guys i guys and gals 
Craig, you're you're working on me on that. It's not just guys. When I say guys, I, I mean that I'm in a s- general sense. I hey, I've been running into that all over the place too. I mean, I had a class recently where I usually do guys, and somebody took offense to it in the class, and I, I really sincerely did not mean that uh, that female was a guy. But uh, and then the next class, I was guys and gals, guys and gals all weekend long. And she, uh, a female came to me after class. She said, "Craig, you're one of the greatest instructors I've ever had." Blah blah blah, kind of thing. You've always included gals whenever you're speaking, and I always appreciate that. And I thought, man, I couldn't be on two different ends of the spectrum in oh, two week okay. period. You know, you know what I'm saying? Mm, I mean, yeah. it's just like mm-hmm. one person's mad at me, and one person's totally ecstatic with me. But it is what it is. It's the nature of the beast. <laughs> it is what it is. Guys and gals, that's who we're talking to, right? Guys and gals. That's right. Just so you guys know, we're looking for win-wins, like Craig always says. Help a brother out. In this case, help some brothers out. It does take some significant commitment and uh, editing, post-editing, producer Ben and all that to keep this thing going, getting our guests. It just takes It takes something. Now, we want to give back to you guys, and there's some opportunities. We're just trying to cre- create some win-wins here so to keep it simple uh number one two things you can do number one you can go over to the survivalshow.com it's not a full website yet but it's a page that has some links right now someday we'll get that survivalshow.com going big time but for now you can join the tribe over there and there's just a couple of links for ways that you can help us out real real directly number two keep this simple today We'll, we'll kiss this today Keep it simple, stupid, right? And I yep, am the yep, stupid yep. one. <laughs> uh, Tiny Guides and Cards are really killing it. Talked a little bit about that last week over on Amazon. But, but, there's this other cool place you can go. It's called tinysurvival.com website. Now, that website is cool. Spent a lot of time on that. It does. You it looks can, real good, David. You do you good can work. go over... Thanks, man. Yeah, it takes yeah. me forever, but when it's done, yes, it, it's yes, you done, do. <laughs> That's all right. It's quality. On Amazon, you can get the guides and the cards. Tiny survival card over there. They're doing really, really, really well. Actually, Craig well exceeded my expectation. But at tinysurvival.com, you guys can get bulk packs of ten cards or ten guides. And I just want to tell you, use the code Tiny Ten. That's T I N Y, the number ten. And you can take 10% off of those bulk packs. And we are, I hate to admit it, Craig, but we are coming up on Christmas. So they're going to make really great stocking stuffers and gifts for folks. And I want to you know, give you guys a, a bonus because I like you all. Just go over there and use Tiny10. You'll get uh, an extra 10% off of the already like discounted price on the bulk packs and family packs of guides. And... One other thing. If you guys have gotten a tiny guide and or a card, I'm just going to ask you, go over to Amazon.com, give us a five-star rating on those products, and leave a nice review. I am finding out, Craig, that that means a lot. So that's a huge way you guys can help us out. And Thank you all who have gotten those already and all the positive, very, very positive comments. I know some of you have gone over to Amazon and already reviewed stuff over there. And Craig... Did you have anything else to say on that stuff? Hey, let me tell you something about Amazon, just just as a side note. Yeah. 
You want to hear this? 50% of the United States shops over there. <laughs> okay, so that. about so we had we had the land nav class. This, this is how valuable those reviews are everybody that's listening. This gives you a little insight into people that put content out like like we like we've put out on the survival guides and and my books, okay? So we had the we had this the land navigation class. It was a huge success. We put a bunch of photos out and every time that happens, one of our and I will, I will call them competitors, although I don't look at people as competitors. They're just people that do have another school or something. Almost every time, one of our competitors will go in and do something. Give us a bad review on Facebook or on an Amazon book or something. So some douchebag got on Amazon and gave my and Tracy's Landnet book a two-star review. Said it wasn't very good, and he dumped it in the Goodwill box. Okay? So... What happens that's, when that ha- wrong. when Yeah, yeah, it is wrong. But I mean, it, it is what it is. That tells me that I'm really good at what we do because people have problems with us because we're, you know, we do things, we do things so well that it's intimidating to people. I would rather, to, to competitors, if you know what I mean. So anyway, um, it's not hard at all to figure out where these people are coming from. So I know what school they're coming from and all that good stuff, but that's not important. But so what I did is I put a, hashtag HBO out to the Nature Reliance School community and said, all right, so this is what happens, you all. When I get a negative review, it starts to slow down the, the sales of that book because of the algorithm and the way that it works. So go in there and give us a five-star review. So what happened? We got about six, seven, five-star reviews, nice comments. So now the sales are back up. So for all you haters out there, go ahead and give me a one-star review because I'm going to get 10 more good ones. That's my challenge. It does. I mean, it, it's it's huge. It's absolutely huge. And uh, I know some of you guys have given uh, great reviews over there. And, yeah, I definitely want to mention your books, Craig. We've got – can you just real quick mention the three books? Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Extreme Wilderness Survival, which still continues to kill it uh, on Amazon. Ultimate Wilderness Gear, which is not killing it and never has. Uh, that's a long story, man. That's a long – that's a – yeah. Anyway, Essential Wilderness Navigation is on track to to uh, overtake my first book. Sometime in about three or four months, probably it'll probably exceed the sales of the first book already. So uh, it's gone really, really well. I, I had so many people that are saying, "Man, if I'd have had this book back when, I wouldn't have had to do this or do that, or wouldn't have figured everything out on my own. I would have taken just used your book." And it's already been picked up by a couple of agencies, law enforcement agencies in particular, and they're utilizing it now as their textbook for land navigation coursework. So, uh, so yeah, it's a fantastic book. Jump in there, get it. Links in the description below. Yep. So Craig's three books, Tiny Survival Guide, Tiny Survival Card, cost you nothing. And guess what? If you're the average American, you're going to be over there on Amazon sometime in the next two days anyway. So just uh, scoot over there and did you say 50%? Tiny... Is that it for real? Yeah, it's 50%, 50% of all wow. online sales pass through Amazon. Isn't that something? Man, that's wild. Yeah. But the rest of those for the outdoor market, they go to Sportsman's Guide. <laughs> and or Craig, it's still, yeah, it's still Sportsman's Guide month. And uh, the way this works, guys, is every other month, Sportsman's Guide 
uh, helps us out significantly and sponsors the podcast. So this is Sportsman's Guide Month. What do you have to say about that, Craig, real quick? Well, obviously, Sportsman's Guide is good to us, so we want to be good to them, which is, you know, the way we do business. That's the way we do everything. So right now, one of the things you can do is if you sign up for your 30-day free trial of the Sportsman's Guide Buyers Club, which is a, a unique and special group there, you'll save nearly you'll save up to 10 percent every day and you get free shipping on orders over 49 buckaroonies so get interest free uh for pay and you get members only deals which is pretty fantastic so jump in on that um and again i mentioned last week they're talking about reviews and ratings man their ratings and whatnot are out of sight like nearly 50,000 or something like that 4.5 out of 5 stars so that should tell you something right there and all kinds of free information there as well to help educate you I'm all I'm an educator not an intimidator or an entertainer as you all probably figured out so I love the educational aspect that's over there on the sportsman's guide as well so check it out and they do have a, they have a whole section on military surplus, which, which is worth checking out, which is cool. It's hard to find like legit military surplus gear now in, in Sportsman's Guide. I know I talked about this two weeks ago, but I was looking at ammo cans and I went into a place. I don't know how widespread these are. They're in this part of the world here in Kentucky, but Rural King is a store that we have a lot of. And I was in there this morning getting some stuff and came across ammo cans there and their ammo cans are still, you know, 20 to 30% higher than what you can get them on Sportsman's Guide. I don't want to focus in on one thing the Sportsman's Guide's got, but but uh, that's just one thing that tells me, man, they know what they're doing. Everybody needs ammo cans. Everybody needs some more. Let's <laughs> do right. this, man. Come okay. on. Let's get into it. All right, guys. So last week we had planned to go through some foraging essentials, keying in on uh, seven rules of thumb that will keep you safe eating when you're going to do some foraging. And we, gosh, Craig, we that was a great discussion. I enjoyed that a lot. I think our listeners did too by the by the response and the listens we got on that podcast. So if you have not listened to that, it's absolutely essential for starting into foraging or just refreshing how to get things going there. But what I'd like to do, Craig, starting off, can you just refresh us all on those uh, seven rules of thumb that we discussed last week? Yeah, uh, happy to. And again, this is coming straight out of the Tiny Survival Guide, so check that out for these if you need a reference point. Section M, yep. M as in Mary. So number rule number one, never eat anything unless you can positively ID it. I cannot accent that enough good gravy uh, rule number two don't eat plants possibly treated with chemicals uh, think about a vehicle exhaust chemicals in a park where somebody or some entity might be taking care of the area and putting roundup and stuff rule number three cook or boil plants whenever possible rule number four for survival never eat wild mushrooms for those that Pay attention to what I do on social media. I love harvesting mushrooms, but I do not do that for survival training. When I train people, there's just too many mistakes that are easily made under the stress of survival. So I avoid them. The main reason is they just don't have that much nutritional content. So why why take the risk? There's not that much reward for the risk there. Rule number five. Pause, train- pause, pause right there. Pause. Rule number four. Yes. Yep. Mushrooms. Wild mushrooms. So we did discuss getting an expert in wild mushrooms. So if all goes well next week, guys, 
we are going to bring in Adam Harriton. He I'm is pumped. somebody that, yeah, I, I'm pumped. The dude is, he is just a super cool guy. He is up here in Pennsylvania and he has agreed. He's an expert in wild mushrooms. He's a biologist. He brings a lot of data and he communicates uh, concepts and he's going to demystify mushrooms for us and get us started on that path. So I'm excited for that next week. So you don't, you guys don't want to miss that. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast now. Rule number five. Rule number five, train with someone that knows what they are doing. Hey, listen to the podcast from next week with him. Did you say he's a biologist or mycologist? Do you know yet? I can't I believe remember. that he's both, and we're going to learn a whole lot more about oh, Okay. Him. Okay, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Cool, 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 cool. All right, now, rule number six, roast, fry, or boil all bugs. And number seven, as a general rule, avoid smelly, hairy, or bright-colored bugs. So we talked about a lot of that last week in the podcast. So again, as David suggested, make sure that you listen to that. So Craig, I was thinking before we get into just some, some bugs in general and specifically some things that we've tried and our experiences and all that, which is always going to be entertaining, especially when you describe things. What I wanted to start out with, let's talk about some reasons why bugs, why insects to start with. So I'll just get us started here and we'll just kick this around a little bit. One, I just kind of headlined this as normal. It's actually normal, not necessarily here in our Western cultures or the United States. We've got like the ick factor, right? When we talk about bugs, but eating insects is proven it's ancient and it's safe when it's done right. And we know this because insects are an important source of food for most of the cultures of the world outside of Western cultures, and in fact, Craig, the best data that I've seen from the UN and some other sources is that two to three billion people on this planet right now eat a variety of insects regularly, both cooked and raw. What say you? Yeah, man, it's just, it's it really is one of those items of culture and life that we just don't get here in this country. And uh, it, it flabbergasted me, really. Uh, I would love to know the reasoning for that and how it got started that way. I, I, I don't know why, because even in the pioneers would talk about doing such things. Uh, the, you know, the early founders of our country did this. And at some point in time, something happened. Uh, I, I don't know what that is. I would love to know what that is to help defeat it. But uh, whatever it might be, we need to be about some bugs. It's not a problem. There's no, I mean, there's just no, I mean, there's some ick factor with anything if it's not properly prepared. But if you properly prepare bugs and get past the fact that it might be wrong, then, hey, they're actually pretty tasty. They taste just like bugs. They do. And yeah. The taste of bugs isn't so bad in some cases. No, exactly, man. I mean, it's, it's it's not at all. So, and the other part of this, another thing that comes up, is there's just so many different opportunities for insects. Um, you know, one one data point that David dug up says that there's like 1,900 different edible insect species on Earth itself. Um, I, I went through just recently went through the entomology class at the University of Kentucky where I'm doing my master naturalist and there's, you know, nearly 150,000 different insects that are out there. And I would say that that 1900 edible insect species is probably very conservative. I bet it's more than that actually, 
But, uh, it, you know, it just depends on what kind of resource you're looking at. I'm just thinking there's that many different insects out there. There's so many that we don't know about, right? That we haven't, uh, that might not be a regular part. I'm saying this number that David's come up with 1900 is probably the, not just, Hey, Ooh, it's a bug. Let's eat it for survival. There's probably 1900 edible insects that are just a regular part of daily life for people. So yeah, it's something to be aware of. Another point that I dug up and I've heard and seen this before is that uh, edible insects, it's a sustainable, it's actually a sustainable crop. And especially in Asian cultures, there's people that provide jobs and everything else around the uh, raising and harvesting and preparation of insects. My wife several years ago had the great opportunity to be in Thailand and Burma and actually spend some time at the time, the, uh, some tribes from Burma were refugees on the Thai border. And she spent some time in the, in the camps there. And when you go to a market in Thailand or Burma, predominant, the predominant thing you're going to see there are insects, various different ways. Many of them roasted so that they are uh, able to last the climate and be ready to go. But they are sustainable. Raising and harvesting insects, interestingly, requires must, much less land and resources than raising cows, pigs, sheep, any other livestock that we have. Man, I remember when I was a kid, I had an uncle that lived next door to me that raised um, worms for fishing is what he was raising them for. And he had a couple of old whiskey barrels. Uh, those are made out of white oak that he converted into like um, growing areas. I don't know. I'm sure there's a proper term for it. I don't know what it is. Do you know what it is where you grow worms? There there might be a term for that. But but anyway, I just remember as a kid, he probably didn't like it that we were doing this, but I would go in there and dig into that all the time just to see how many worms were there. And I mean, they were everywhere, man. I mean, and he just started off with a few uh, worms, but I mean, he ended up having whiskey barrels full of these things. And, you know, that's just, that's food. It could have been. Mm -hmm. It's but, food for us. It was food for the fish and the people that got yeah. fish with them had some food. <laughs> and I mean, what he was using it for is he was basically building a compost pile and using stuff from his garden. I mean, it was just that he was really intelligent the way he handled himself in the garden and raising worms for fishing. But at the same time, he used compost from the garden to make all that happen. It's pretty interesting way he did everything. But the other part of this is important that, to understand is that insect eating insects is healthy for you. They, it's very much um, streamlined for your body more than, than let's say red meat po protein, for example. I mean, the way your body, your body has to burn a lot of calories to, to process meat. It doesn't have to burn nearly as many calories when you're processing insect protein. And so it's just an option from a survival perspective. We always talk about calories in calories out, you know, getting insects and eating them is going to be a, a fantastic source of protein and even calories. If you get the right ones for survival, as well as just daily living. Yeah. And we're not going to get into this here as far as the, the chemistry of insects, but there's, there's well, well published and researched, res, resourced and researched reports that talk about 
just a natural balance of fats and protein and carbohydrates and vitamins and minerals in a lot of common insects, some of which we're going to talk about today. And the balance and, and the, the, the end result to us is that uh, they're really similar to fish and meat. For instance, like grasshoppers and crickets, we're actually seeing cricket flour kind of emerge at emerge as a as a processed thing that more and more people are getting into and uh, like cricket and grasshoppers they rank up there with lean beef for protein protein content per you know per ounce with a much more healthier fat profile per gram so yeah anything else on why bugs can you think of anything any other good reason why people should eat them I think that pretty much covers it right there. Cool. All right, so let's let's just maybe jump into how to how to eat bugs. Maybe and then we'll start with some easy to identify and common insects and some of our stories around eating bugs. So, how should people prepare them, Craig? Let's just start start that off. Well, as we mentioned in the rules, uh, most insects that you might grubs in for example, <clears throat> excuse me, that you might come across are slow moving. And so anything that's going to be slow moving, I'm trying and I'm trying to generalize this, but anything that's slow moving has a tendency to or opportunity to have more bacteria on it. It's just never, never, all, never, never, never always is one of the things I'm trying to highlight in everything that I do and teach is never say never and never say always. You just can't do that. But in general, yeah there's an opportunity for bacteria to be there on slow moving things. So for example, if you've got a grub that's living inside of a log and slowly, but surely chewing up that log, when I say slowly, but surely going through it at literal less than millimeters a day, then it's just basically laying there and it's opportunity for it to get bacterial contamination on it. That could be problematic for the human digestive tract. So we've got to prepare them. So as with anything, anything that time that you can cook something that possibly has bacteria on it, bringing whatever it is that you're going to cook it on, whether it's roasting over a fire and bring it to a high temp or you're putting in boiling water, uh, for example, and getting it up to a rolling boil, just from a survival perspective, we're talking survival right now, um, that that rolling boil or that solid flame is going to give you that visual indicator that everything's going to be okay. Okay. So if you put that insect in there and particularly in rolling boil water, then you're going to let it sit there for a few minutes so that if there's bacteria on it, it can kill it because bacteria cannot exist in that environment. So that's, that's the first and foremost. Now I will say from experience that I find it more palatable to roast things than boil them. It seems to be just, you know, in, in doing that with students in survival classes as well, it just seems that your average person that might be eating these things find it easier to eat if they have put it over a flame and cooked it than they do if they boil it. However, from a pure survival standpoint, hey, the only reason I'm eating this thing is because I need nutrition, then boiling is probably the best way because m- the the material that's inside the grub or the insect or whatever it might be is still there. Whereas if you roast it, there's a good chance that it gets cooked off or it, it comes out of the, the cavity of the insect and then goes into the flame and it's no longer in the insect. And you just, so you're losing some nutrition when you do them that way. But 
they seem to be more palatable in that manner. Does that make sense? What I said there? Yeah, I, w- I would totally agree with you. I, I've I would prefer roasting over over boiling or fr- even frying. And you know, case in point, folks in the Amazon basin in South America, they eat a lot of bugs, like they just do. And so it was nothing for them when I was down there with Joe Flowers. Hey. Shout out to Joe. I did. I I actually, Craig, last minute, I contacted Joe because he is a he is an etymologist. He's a beekeeper. He's a just a cool guy. And I said, Hey, you want to jump on the podcast today? Do you have time? And he said, Dude, man, I'd love to do that, but I'm but I've got a class today. I'm teaching kids how to how to cook on rocks. And I'm like, That oh, cool. sounds <laughs> way more fun than what we're doing today. So uh, anyway. Went to uh, went to the Amazon a couple of years ago with Joe Flowers and his uh, Bushcraft Global crew, and shot a series of six videos. In episode three, I'm eating huge a huge orange larva called Mahahoy, which is a red palm weevil. We ate a bunch of ants and all that sort of stuff. But uh, one thing that I and those were those were all raw down there, and. Why did I do it like that? Because the native said that's the way to do it. Um, the red palm weevil, the mahahoy. Yeah, sounds like maybe it, it's kind of like a pleasant sound. Sounds like it might even be like a, you know, something you'd eat in a fine Chinese restaurant. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It tastes tastes kind of like. I don't know. It wasn't that. It, it, it tasted, it didn't taste like Mahahoy. It tasted more like a red palm weevil. <laughs> um, man, I love, I love how you said that. It, so it wasn't just delightful, huh? <laughs> no, no. In fact, the general oh, man. consensus. Did you do it on video? Because if you did, I got to oh, yeah, watch yeah. this video. I oh, haven't yeah. seen it. I've, okay, I've got to yeah. watch that. <laughs> so it's the jungle, jungle Bushcraft series on Ultimate Survival Tips on YouTube. It's episode three. Okay, I'll and, be watching uh, that tonight. <laughs> yeah, a couple of us did it. And, and I, I think our, our consensus, they were like, no, you eat these raw. And our consensus was this would have been really nice roasted. I think it would have been really nice roasted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Serious question for you, though. Uh, yep. They're used to doing that and eating them. Did you experience any digestive discomfort or anything of that nature after eating them? Um, I didn't. I didn't. And I did a lot of mm. things. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, there was one thing I didn't do. I didn't allow them to, uh, to, I, I guess primitively vaccinate me with with uh, poison uh, poison frog venom. <laughs> it's some sort of a manly ritual, but but I just being probably the oldest person on that trip. I I, I decided that, that I wanted to make it back home, and that my grandkids were more important than doing that. But I did a bunch of stuff on in those video series, including putting my put they they chose me to put my hand into this nest of biting ants and there was a certain like if if they did one thing i'll I'll leave it up to you guys to watch the if they did one thing that meant that i was i was going to have a prosperous life and if they did the other one it meant i was cursed so (laughs) are you kidding me wow no no dude we did it, it was very it was very cool i highly recommend that if anybody gets a chance to do that they'll never get to the amazon and get better training 
with indigenous peoples than they will through a bushcraft global trip with Joe Flowers. But anyway, there's a lot of cool stuff there. We ate a bunch of things. Now, recently, Craig, I do keep bees, and my wife wanted to learn, and I have a series coming out in the spring. It'll be like the year in the life of a beekeeper, something like that, where we just we started from scratch. I've done beekeeping for years, but it's been a couple of years since we did it. And I had a I had an issue with one of my hives, and I ended up having some bee brood. So I, I ate that, and I, I will hey, taste hey, tell hey, you. Hey. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's bee, for those that are listening and those of us who don't know what beekeeping is all about, what's bee brood? Okay, so there's basically, uh, it's the, it's the, after a queen will lay an egg in the comb, that will be, that egg will be fed by the worker bees and it'll eventually become a larva. And that's called brood. That whole process from, egg to larva to mature bee before they become uh, a mature bee and they merge from the, uh, from all that it's called brood. Anyway, it's basically like, it's like bee maggots basically when it comes right down to it. And I had never had it before. And because of one of the issues in my hive, um, there was a bunch of brood that was in the wrong place. And instead of wasting it, I decided to eat it raw and fry it up. And uh, you'll have to wait for that series. No, I'll tell you, it wasn't that good. It didn't taste. <laughs> it didn't taste like lemony buttered, uh, delectable delight. It was. It did taste like bee brood. So, <laughs> okay, it was edible. I tried it multiple different ways. I probably should have roasted it. <laughs> that might have been, might have been better. So, as we get into this, Craig, why don't you share a couple stories about your your eating of insects, and then we'll go down through a list of some common insects. And we'll pick and choose from those that would be good ones for people to start with if they want to walk yeah, down this I, path. I, I tell people, and I mentioned it last time, that you, particularly larvae, you, you've got to pay attention. And it's the same with mushrooms, actually. And it's one of the reasons that uh, mushrooms can be dangerous is that it's not just, hey, I see this larva that I know is edible. I need to pay attention to what that larva is on so that I know what it's made of. Okay. So basically um, even maggots, maggots, for example, will take on the characteristics and even taste like the host that they're feeding on. So if a maggot is feeding on a a dead animal, then it's going to take on the bacterial and taste of a dead raccoon or whatever it might be feeding on. Right. And I did a video on YouTube a few years ago, on eating maggots because I found a bunch of maggots that were growing on pawpaws. Pawpaws is a fruit that you find in the Appalachian mountain chain, uh, particularly this far South. You probably don't have them up there. Do you, David? Mm -mm, We do not. Mm -mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's usually just slightly into Ohio going up through West Virginia. They'll stop, uh, just cause they're, they're, they're almost a tropical fruit. It's the mountain tropic fruit is what a lot of people refer to them as. But, but um, anyway, these maggots were growing on these uh, pawpaws. And so I made a video of me frying them up and eating them because after I did a significant amount of research to make sure that what I thought was true was actually true is that they take on, they basically, they tasted like pawpaws. I always say that whatever I'm eating, it tastes like what it is. So yeah, the maggots taste like maggots, but I must say that those maggots tasted like pawpaws. I mean, they really did. They taste like little crunchy pawpaw pieces. And it's because they were basically essentially pawpaw parts. (laughs) And as I mentioned earlier, I also grew up eating 
I grew up eating a lot of stuff. I've, I've said a few times on this show, I had a cousin that was older than me and he was, he had the ability to drive and we live in a part of the world where we were, we were both driving before we had our driver's license. I mean, I'm not saying that everybody should do that, but in rural Kentucky, people got to get to work people got to haul hay and farmers. And, you know, that's how we grew up. So we were driving tractors and sometimes even vehicles on the road long before we could actually legally drive. And we would go fishing and hanging out. And sometimes our parents would drop us off and, and we would go, and if we didn't catch fish, we didn't eat. If we didn't make a bow drill fire or hand drill fire back then, we just didn't eat. So one of the things that we would do is we would eat a bunch of insects. We knew from a survival perspective, we had some family that taught us some survival skills when we were kids. Uh, we didn't call them survival skills then. They were, we called them pioneer skills is what we were calling them back then. But we would gather, I mean, we would dig under logs and eat grubs and grasshoppers. I mean, it was just a thing that we did. And we didn't do it right. We didn't cook them. Sometimes we ate them raw. But it was just, a, again, it's one of them things that I don't see them as being a negative like David mentioned earlier in this country, a lot of people look at them as an ick factor. It was just something I did growing up. It's just the way most people are throughout the world, actually. So basically you're saying it's a mindset thing. I think that's what you're getting to. Oh, without a doubt. And I mean, and I can tell you from experience too, if you're eating something, let's say from a survival perspective, and you've got to eat that, whatever it is, and you just don't think you can stomach it, then hold your nose and eat it. Because the scent, of what you're eating makes it taste so much more, have much more taste to it. And if you've never done this, I know it sounds crazy, but if you've never done this, do this, get something that, you know, has a lot of taste, hold your nose while you'll eat it. And you will not be able to taste it like you normally do. So then you can then take that and apply that to something that has, you know, you, you might not be used to eating it, ick factor, but you've, you must eat something to get nutrition, then uh, that's one way to do it. And you actually don't taste it that much. I really wish I understood why that happens that way. Do you know? Cause I don't know. I just know that it, it, it does it. I just don't know why. It just, it's just the way we're made because I, I think <laughs> that some things that, that smell kind of nasty, it's just a warning sign to us. Right. So, right. Yeah. Good just, point. It, you know, like we used to tell our kids when they were young, God made it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah good point so let's just let's dig in real quick and talk about a few common things we can eat uh would, would it be okay if i just went through the list in section m2 of the guide and then we'll we'll kick around whether we've had them or not and and what we would recommend that would be great because i do not have it in front of me right now okay so yeah. uh beetles uh beetles i've had limited exposure but but some so you Basically, people around the world, what they're going to do is they're going to roast them. Um, you know, they can, they can, and a lot of beetles are, are edible. I'm not going to talk about specific species, but of beetles, but roasting them is going to do a couple things. One, it's going to, it's going to roast them and it's going to do all the things Craig talked about earlier. Two, it's going to, it's going to actually burn off their, I, what do you call them? Their, their arms and legs and wings and all that sort of stuff. So what you're left with is most cultures <clears throat> in the in the world will, will roast them and then they'll just eat them like popcorn. 
How about you? Any any experience? Anything else? I have. I usually go about well, grasshoppers too, but I usually go ahead and just pull the legs off. Pull the legs to make sure off, they're yeah. gone. Yeah, just because those legs have those little barbs on them that uh, have a tendency that if you if they're not if they're not roasted to the point that they're crunching and breaking apart, uh, particularly if you eat them boiled or some of that nature, then I just pull them off and don't don't bother with them at all because they'll get hung in your throat and getting hung in your throat is a yep. serious problem in a survival situation. Serious yep. problem. Yep. What's grasshoppers. Next? And then I'm just yeah. going to throw grasshoppers, locusts, crickets all in here. Although they are different, different. And I do have a preference out of all of these and that would be crickets. What's say me you? too. Me too. I've eaten a bunch of crickets in my day. We had a advanced survival course back early spring this year and there was a young man, he was, I don't know how old he is, um, young teenager, maybe 12. I don't know exactly how old he is, but we, we got a bunch of crickets and he was all about eating them things. And uh, it was one of those things, it felt good to, to be able to teach a kid that, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, there is no ick factor there. And he was, he was literally just, I, I had a little MSR stove, like a pocket rocket in case we needed it for something and uh, because they're so lightweight and, and we just set that thing up and he would put them on a stick and roast them. And, and like you said, he was just eating them like popcorn. It's awesome. It's awesome. And we crickets are becoming really, really popular. The flowers popular. There's a lot of good reasons for that. And they are starting to be grown more for commercial purposes. Um, they're, they're generally pretty easy to catch and I, we're we're not supposed to tell people this, so I'm gonna say don't do this. But dude, I'll just I'll just grab a cricket and eat it. I don't I don't pull the legs off or anything, especially the smaller ones. So anyway, the don't key do, is chewing it up. You gotta just chew everything up really good. Yeah, yeah. chew it up. Good. Grasshoppers are different. I agree with you. Their their legs are real bony and and their wings are are you know a, a tougher <clears> mass. So I, I'd recommend pulling all those off. Bees, wasps, I'm just going to, I have really not had any, I've had plenty of opportunity. I just have not, that's that's kind of my next journey into this. I'm going to roast up some bees and wasps. <laughs> we just had a major infestation in our house that's now taken care of. But the larvae, the larvae, yes, I've spoken enough on the larvae there. How about you with bees and wasps? Nope. Never done that. Um. Much like you, I probably need to, but I haven't done that. So yeah. maybe we can, uh, we need to do that and, and share notes when we do. Generally speaking, peop, the larva of any any of these insects is generally preferred by a lot of cultures. And generally speaking, all of it prepared the right way is, is edible and, and tasty enough, uh, which I have done with bees. So, uh, hey, one ants, thing that, yeah, go uh, ahead. Man one thing about that is that, and this came up in my master national, man, I have learned so much in this class, but wasps are a type of ant. So they're basically in the same. Yeah. And so when you're looking at a wasp, you're basically looking at a winged ant is what you're looking at. I mean, they basically have the same structure. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. that's going to, that's encouraging. That's more encouraging. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I think <laughs> next year. That was, that was me too. You know, I've always wondered, just been concerned about taking whatever toxin it is that they sting you with and putting that into my digestive tract. And so I've avoided that altogether. Uh, but learning a little bit more from a scientific perspective, 
uh, I I can see the that it's not as dangerous as I had thought previously. There's so much, man. There's so much stuff I don't know. I love to love to learn. So it's something I got to try. Yeah, ants. I know we've both eaten those. I've eaten big ones, small ones. Uh, honestly, I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I actually kind of like them. Um, if and I, I'm I'm going to confess. This is David Confession Day. I have eat, eaten quite a few of them non-roasted. I shouldn't have done that. But uh, the biggest issue with ants and termites is they're going to bite your tongue, man. So you got to get them first <laughs> if you're going to eat them raw. <laughs> but what Craig says, don't eat them raw. All right, that's for the lawyers, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they're they're going to, for most people, they get surprised because they'll often have um, a slight lemony taste because they have oxalic acid in them. And so people will be, wow, that tastes like lemons. I've had that happen several times with students in classes and myself included the first time. I, I remember very vividly the first time I ate a large amount of ants because it really did taste like uh, like I was eating something that had lemon juice put on it. And because they were so, I, I don't know if those particular, because I've never had ants since that time. Maybe it was the first time and that's why. But I don't. I can't remember a time since then that I had ants that were so lemony, lemony. Sorry, it's a hard word to say. And uh, I don't know what the reasonings were. It's one of those things I just I'd like to know, but I don't know. Did you eat them raw or did you roast them at that point? I ate them raw, man. I stuck them. I yep. stuck them. Uh, I whittled a stick down, took the bark off, and just cleaned it up, and stuck the stick down in a ant hill, and came out with mm. a bunch of ants mm-hmm. and just licked them right off there like it was a straw. And uh, ate them just like that. And just like you, though, if you're not used to doing that and you're eating them live, it, when they start crawling around in your mouth, you might get the heebie-jeebies if you're not used to it. I kind of get right. giggly because I think it's cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's not a problem. It's not a. It is one of those things that again, I do for the lawyers, if we must say this. Um, I eat ants raw all the time. I shouldn't, mm-hmm. but I do all the time. So, yeah. And and if you've seen, for the guys out there, guys and gals, uh, you've probably seen, if you've seen any survival TV shows or anything on primitive cultures, you're going to see uh, some, some still-preserved ancient cultures and some indigenous peoples doing exactly what Craig said, sticking a stick down into a, a termite nest or, or, uh, or up into a termite nest or, or an ant, ant hill and pulling out eggs, ants, whatever. Uh, don't want to don't want to dismiss the eggs. The eggs are edible too, and the ants are. Mm-hmm. Dragonfly. I haven't. I have not eaten dragonfly, but it appeared on a lot of top ten lists, so I included it in the guide. Craig. Never eaten a dragonfly, and now that I know a little bit more about them, I probably never will. Here's why. <laughs> Although it's, <laughs> I mean, maybe a survival thing. I might, but survival. I mean, uh. Uh, dragonfly, yeah, man, I need to drink some more water. Dragonfly larvae eat mosquito larvae, oh, and adult cool. dragonflies eat adult mosquitoes. How about I that? I did not know that. So if you have that a, changes my perspective, you're going to want to roast I, I that know. for sure, big time. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's one of those things they. Um, from a habitat standpoint, if you if you have an area that has a lot of mosquitoes, then create some habitat that is inviting to dragonflies, and they'll come in and wipe them out for you, along mm. with purple martins and 
and bats and stuff of that nature. But from a habitat perspective, it's something to keep in mind. Yeah. Good stink bugs. I have eaten them. And we, you know, our house, Craig, we, we actually stink bugs for some reason, love pine and interior exterior. We have a lot of pine. So actually this time of the year, the stink bugs every now and again, just pop up and you know, I'll just, I, I shouldn't do this. We, do we have to keep saying this? I shouldn't do this, but I just eat them. <laughs> and so do they destroy I, the pine wood? I mean, do they burrow know, into your wood? Or are you just sitting on? I don't, I, I don't know. Enough I don't know what the attraction is. They're not, hmm. nobody's warning me against any destructive nature of them. They're just for some reason attracted to this particular house. And uh, they do, you know, people call them stink bugs. I actually kind of don't mind their smell. I don't know why. They do have a, I guess maybe the word is a funky smell. I don't particularly consider it a, a foul smell, but they do. Um, they're not the worst thing. And I started eating them, Craig, just like a year ago, just because it was one of those things like, uh, you know, we call it a stink bug. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. And I'm like, I just got to do it. You know, it's like. Um, yeah, they do have a get, they have a bit of a lemony apple flavor in my opinion. Uh, you know, but yeah, they do. They do. Uh, if you dry, apparently I have not done this, but apparently if you dry them out, you again, like, you know, roast them or, or fry them, dry them out. Uh, people, some people use them in sauces and as a spice and apparently According to the research I have in front of me, they are a valuable source of iodine. And they do have oh, yeah. some wow. anesthetic and analgesic properties. But well, there you anyway, have eat stink bugs for life. Yeah, no joke. Uh, mealworms and maggots. You did talk about that a bit. Mealworms. I used to eat mealworms all the time when I was a kid. I had one of those little, uh, they called them chameleons. I don't even know what that little critter was. But I raised those when I was a kid. Um, it was it wasn't an actual chameleon. It was something that was sold as a chameleon. And like a gecko or something. It looks similar to that. No, I mean this was I, these were things that you ordered out of the back of a magazine kind of thing, you know. And I raised these things all the time when I was a kid. Uh, and uh, they their primary diet was mealworms, so we were always raising mealworms or buying mealworms and. And I got to eat mealworms right along with my little buddy there. And so mealworms and maggots under the right circumstances for certain are totally 100% edible. No problems at all. Just remember the host. And that kind of goes along with grubs. I'll tell you what. uh, I think it does go along with the host again. But I've had some fantastic grubs that were fried and butter with some garlic that were absolutely fantastic. Uh, and they, I would, I would say there were somewhere between, I know what you're going to say. I think I know what you're going to say, but they, these ones, this particular time, they tasted like a cross between chicken and shrimp, both of which I love. Really? What kind Sauteed, of, you don't know what kind it was? I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, you what need to figure that was. out because that tastes good. That sounds good. <laughs> it does sound good. No, they haven't all been like that, but this particular time they were like that. So, Craig, so you mentioned it. You probably got uh, well, 
what was that 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 gecko or that chameleon out of uh like the back of boy's life or grit magazine or something all right so i gotta ask you this this is this is not the stump craig question have you ever eaten a sea monkey no but my kids raised them growing up we had them all the time i have no idea what they are but they remember those they had the cartoon yes like monkey my kids, face and- my kids had them I mean, we got them for my kids all the time. And you, I mean, you basically had to have a magnifying glass to see the things because they looked like little dots. And for, I, I mean, no joke, man. I mean, we've got these several times for, for my daughter in particular when she was little. And I just thought they were just dust in there that somebody was selling, you know? And then Lily, who's my daughter called me in one day. She said they were with this is when, again, when she was little and they were moving and jumping and everything. And I went in there, man, and got the magnifying glass on those things. And they were little, like little seahorses, man. They were cool as heck, but I've never ate one. Never ate one. Hmm. I just had to ask. All right. Scorpions. A sea monkey. No, no. You know, I, and I never had a sea monkey, so I, I'm glad that you shared that experience. I just thought, you know, since you, you reminded me of the, the, the good old days, if you sold so many grit magazines, you could choose the, what was it, that rubber band bird thing that flew or sea monkeys, I think was your choice if you sold subscriptions. <laughs> I totally <laughs> forgot about that. That's so true. <laughs> the rubber band bird thing. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. <laughs> Scorpions. I, you know, I could have, could have eaten these in the Amazon, but I didn't. Why? Have you ever eaten a scorpion? Why did you avoid it? I didn't. Ex- I didn't avoid it. It, it just oh, okay. so happened to be on a on a nature walk we did one yeah. of our first nights there, and and we were mostly just moving along, and I, I it just wasn't it just wasn't gotcha. what we did that night, you know. And I wish I would have, honestly. No, I have never eaten them. I, I don't live in an area where they they live normally. Uh, it would be really rare to see one here in central Kentucky. We have a lot more of them down, and they're really small down in western Kentucky. But I've never laid eyes on one, ever. So, I mean, if I saw one, I don't think I would eat it because it would be the first one I'd ever seen, and I don't want to wipe out the species because I don't know what's around. But uh, I wouldn't mind going to an area where they're numerous and having somebody that knows what they're doing teach me how to eat them. I'd try. Man, I'll try anything, dude. I'll try it. You know, I will too. <laughs> no joke, man. Me and my daughter's the same way. My wife and son don't do that at all. And me and my daughter, we will eat anything, mm-hmm. anytime, anywhere, and enjoy trying new stuff. As long as Craig Cottle says it's safe. Hey, why not? If it's got pumpkin spice on it, my daughter will eat it all year long. <laughs> She's a freak about pumpkin spice stuff. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, termites, we already, termites are really popular. In, in some indigenous cultures, uh, have you had any experience with them? No, never eaten them, um, and I don't really know why. Because that's something that grows around here, come or you know, exists around here. Pretty much anywhere, yeah. It, same as ants, basically the same yeah. thing. That if you're going to eat them, you're going to eat them live. They're going to bite you. It's just just the way it is. Mm-hmm. You just have to, you know, I. I'd prefer getting a big one, popping it in there, crunching it between my teeth. You're you're good to go. Earthworms. Now we saved earthworms. Kind of saved earthworms, honestly, for last because it, it is the most common. I think just about anywhere where you have enough 
organic mass and moisture, you're going to have worms. I'll let you uh, share a little bit on that. Yeah, I've eaten a bunch of worms in my day, a bunch. So one of the things you can do is pinch the end of it and pull the guts out, what would what we would call the guts, and then eat it, and you'll still get some nutritional content there, and it's not really gross. Otherwise, you get a digestive tract that tastes a lot like dirt, and that's not totally problematic for you, but again, because they are slow moving, there's a more likelihood of them having bacteria on them, so usually it is something that I'm going to cook um, for sure. I mean, I, I've done worms several different ways, but one way that seems to work pretty well is to, I, I've boiled them on a number of occasions just to make sure that they're clean and then just lightly roast them because I don't have to roast them to the point where I have to make sure that they're clean to eat because they've already been boiled to make sure they're clean to eat and then roast them and then they're good to go. And they actually taste pretty good. Yeah, tastes like worms. I think the biggest issue I've had with them is that if you eat them in more of a raw state, they can be gritty. So I have put them in a just a small cup of water. And if you do that for a couple of hours, they'll, they'll mm-hmm. clean up and they'll... Yeah, turtles uh, do the same thing. But you wouldn't eat a turtle, would you? Huh? Yeah, I eat turtles all the time. You eat turtle? Okay. Bo- not now. No, 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 no. Not, not a box turtle. I'm not talking a box like a snap. Not a, sna- a snapping turtle that comes out of the water or a creek. Okay. But yeah, What's the I difference? mean, just since since we're on it, can you just tell us the difference? Why you wouldn't eat a box turtle? Because they are land dweller, and they again are another creature that moves really slow. So there is a higher likelihood of carrying bacteria on it. So I avoid those. It's, you know, box turtles are one of those things that kids love to pick up in the woods and check it out. Ooh, cool. I got a box turtle. They just put their hand on bacteria more likely than not. Uh, it's not, again, never, 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 always. Never say never, never say always. Uh, it's not always true, but yeah, yeah, avoid those. And because they have bacteria on them, I would avoid the risk from a survival perspective. If I was going to cook them, I would. And I've never eaten a box turtle because they're. I like looking at them, and I think they provide a, a, an excellent service on the earth. Snapping turtles, alligator snapping turtles here in Kentucky, I've eaten a bunch of those, a whole bunch of those. So you can put them in water, a bucket of water, and they'll basically clean themselves out and get a lot of that uh, murkiness out of them. So and it only takes a couple of days. All right, so I have to ask this. I, I, I am not... I'm definitely not an aficionado on turtles, right? My dad actually used to love eating turtles and uh, turtle soup and all that sort of stuff for some reason was, I don't know, carryover from the Polish culture or something. But um, I have seen people just pretty much throw the turtle on a, on a fire and like roast it for hours and hours and hours. Can you do that? Put it on their live? No, no, no. I think it was dead. It was dead. Oh, okay. Yeah. But then they, I don't know. I think they, they put the shell down and then they, they covered it over in coals and, and kind of kept it going and, and left it for, I was, I'm going to say it was like six or eight hours. I don't know if Bear Girls did. Somebody did this. Somebody, somebody did this and then, you know, ripped it open. I can see that, uh, I can see that being, uh, something that Bear Girls would do. I don't, I wouldn't do it that way. Um, Here's a reason why the primary thing that you're going to eat in there is going to be the legs and the head and possibly the tail. And you can get to all of those with the shell on. 
once you get that shell open, which can be fairly problematic unless you know what you're doing. I mean, I've watched a bunch of people that don't know what they're doing, cleaning turtle, just destroy a knife on them because they quite frankly don't know what they're doing. But uh, if you know what you're doing, you just cut the legs off because once you get in there, there's really not much meat at all inside that shell. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's just your base. The meat you're looking at is the head and the feet. The armor is protecting the core, right? So correct. But nothing, nothing has the muscle, which is what we're looking for, other than the the neck, which is really strong, and the and the legs. You yeah, know, I've started to do a series several times on processing game and fish and turtles and everything on YouTube, and I've just always thought that I'll end up getting blasted by somebody. So I never have. Uh, I might end up doing that because there's just so much that people don't know. Um, Turtles is one that I see people, it's just one of those things, man, turtles are really hard to clean. Well, they're not hard to clean for me. I've done them a a bunch of times and they're just not hard if you know what you're doing. I think it's for people that are confused and don't really know what they're doing with them. So, but yeah, they're tasty. Uh, I know we kind of got off subject here, but yeah, they're pretty tasty. Hey man, I'm looking at the time, dude. We're going to have to, we're going to have to avoid edible plants today. We are, we are, but I do want to cool. do this. I, I want to do the stump Craig question just because. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm down for that. Cause I want to stump Craig. All right, man. You want to get into this stump? Bring it Craig on, question? son. Bring it on. All right, man. I'm ready for you. Okay. Here's the question. If only the people listening to this podcast right now knew by prophetic vision, dream, or some other source that a society altering event was going to happen at this time next year, so 12 months from now, that would take us back approximately 150 years to the 1870s with no electric, no basic utilities or communication grid. And this is complicated. Are you following me so far? And would last approximately seven years. What would you recommend that they do now to prepare for? Then lay out a plan, my friend. That's pretty. That's a pretty heavy discussion. Uh, first off, I would approach it the way stumped? I do. Are you stumped? No, I'm never stumped, Tommy. <laughs> I got this. I got this. Okay, so you've got to break it down to the simple pieces and parts. And just so everybody knows, I didn't know this question before he before he told me just now. I'm just no. Like, it's not in the notes, person. man. It's printed out here on my private. No, he does this on purpose. He printed. tries to get me on these, but he ain't going to. So. Always, you all, you got to break everything that seems complex down to its simplest parts. And by breaking it down, you can then start working through what you need to work through. So what you're going to be dealing with there is survival in its truest sense, which is personal safety, shelter, water, and food in order. Okay. So you've got to be able to Uh, Either remove yourself from society so you don't have to deal with the other people that are stressful and stressed out and bringing harm to others, or develop an organizational structure where you have people that are friendly to you and you are friendly to them. Okay, that's number one. That's your personal safety. To go along with that, any sort of self-defense training up to and including firearms is something that you should be cognizant of. Beans, bullets, and band-aids is uh, a common survival adage, which is pretty pretty succinct and works. Um, bullets being part of that. So I would be taking care of things of that nature that would be there for my personal safety, 
then I'd know how to make sure that I have a shelter. And it ain't going to be some tarp shelter that you're going to stay in for a few days. You can need to know how to find shelter that's available to you, whether that's staying in the home that you have now or building your own home. Uh, caves are a fantastic resource. There's a reason that Al-Qaeda have evaded the the most powerful military in the world is because they were in cave systems and they can survive there without much effort, meaning the structure's already there. So if you have an area where you can get into caves or rock shelters, uh, that's a fantastic way to have a shelter built for you by the earth. Otherwise you're going to have to know how to use tools properly. So you don't injure yourself. That includes a big ax saw, not a chainsaw, because again, we're off grid. If I'm understanding David correctly, so there's my shelter. Water is going to be huge. I would be all about figuring out a way to funnel water into a collection point so that I can have water, uh, whether that is some sort of canister, like a 55-gallon drum that collects water, and then I can utilize it as I see fit. And then food, you're going to have to know. You're going to have to know how to fish, hunt, trap, and forage for food from plants and bugs and everything that we've been talking about. So, because we're nearly out of time, in a general sense, that would be my answer. That would be that would be how I would proceed. I, the, the big thing being, it seems like an overwhelming problem, and it is. That would be a huge problem. A lot of people would die. Most of the people you know would die in that situation. But the key would be to look at the problem, break it down into its parts, and then go about breaking down each of those parts slowly but surely so that you're taking care of again personal safety shelter water food how's that dude that was pretty good you had no clue beans bullets and band-aids yeah yeah that's kind of a simplified answer but uh maybe that's something that we can investigate and dig into at some point in time yeah yeah um i think the yeah. big thing is is that it would be an extended thing it wouldn't be three days or seven days or or six months, you'd be talking about seven years. So you're going to exhaust your, almost no matter what you have, you're going to exhaust any fuel you have for a generator. You're going to, you're going to use up your MREs and your, your yeah, long-term oh yeah. food there. So, yeah, you're going to have to learn how to live off the land. And that, and then, it, you know, the water thing is huge just for hygiene mm-hmm. and knowing these, not, I mean, we've talked a lot about edible plants. We haven't talked enough about medicinal plants for a long-term event like that, but knowing this things like I did a, I had a talk yesterday where I taught a bunch of folks, really good folks too. And, um, on edible medicinal plants. And we talked about medicine. These are people that live really close to the earth and, uh, they're always interested in me talking to them about plants, but you know, things to clean out wound sites, even little scratches on your hand. I got a little scratch on my hand this morning from cutting, uh, invasive species out of a environment. And I looked at it, just a little tiny scratch. It wasn't even a cut. It's just a scratch. And I thought, man, if I did not have the ability to keep my hands clean, wash my hands, and and uh, and take care of myself with hygiene, right. that little scratch right. could turn into infection, which make could make me lose my finger, which make me lose my hand, or vice versa. Um, and just just because it happened yesterday. Um, and I don't want to go into too much detail about this, but I came across a homeless guy here in my hometown yesterday. Hmm. And uh, it was just impressed upon me that I needed to chat with this guy. So I stopped and chatted with him for quite a while and uh, did what I could to help him as best I could. 
But one of the things that we talked at length about was his ability to get himself clean. And so I, I did some things to help him get clean, but, but, um, it was one of those things that during the discussion, it was just impressed upon me because this is a guy that's living in the modern world, but he's, he doesn't have a house. He doesn't have a toilet. He doesn't have regular food. And so he, it was just, you know, he's living a hard life. I shook his hand, hugged him and he, and, um, talked to him again at length. And he was like, people don't want to touch me and you know, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but he's doing what he can to stay clean. This is a guy that has modern amenities and is, is struggling with it. If all that goes away for all of us, <laughs> it's just going to be devastating. Yeah, man, definitely. Well, I think this is a topic that we can maybe come back. To. You know, I have a heart for homeless people and I've often thought about how they survive like they do. Um, I don't, I don't know if we know anybody who's, who's been homeless that would, want to come in here and talk to us about that sometime, but I think that'd be an interesting topic and, and very eye-opening for us and helpful. So Craig, my friend, you want to take us out of here? Yeah, guys and gals. So I guess David, as far as our notes are concerned, we're going to get into the cool new stuff a different time. Does that work for you? Yeah, we're going to have, hopefully have okay. Adam on next time. We're going to talk about mushrooms and Man, maybe we'll talk crazy. about some wild edibles too. Yeah. These things go so fast anymore. That's good. I think we're getting better at it. So yeah, guys and gals, please subscribe to the podcast now, please. It's free to do so. That way you ensure yourself that you don't miss out on any episodes now or in the future. Many thanks to so many of you who have already done that. Go ahead and crank it out. One, two, three four five stars is what we've earned today i just calculated it so go ahead and throw down a five-star review for us that way you can uh give us that five-star review and as we were talking about insight into amazon and everything else hey this these podcasts are no different so throw us a five-star review and uh, that helps us out tremendously on itunes or google play or anchor or wherever it is that you want to give us a review on we greatly appreciate it don't forget their support options buy those tiny guides oh my goodness a bunch i passed on a bunch of tiny guides to people yesterday they were all about them so i took a bunch and sold a few to them and uh it's a it's a church group that i teach every year but uh they were fantastic they were tickled to death they were begging me to bring some of those down so i was able to take some down to them and uh get yourself some amazon better yet tinysurvival.com check it out there's all kinds of cool stuff coming there and click the links in the description below so that you can see all the things that are important that we discussed today. Support our sponsors. And we'll see you next time on the Survival Show Podcast. Keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp.